This morning, God's word comes to us from John 3. John 3, that is printed in the worship folder. You can turn there in your Bibles at this time. Just a quick passing comment. Uh, I know it's rather warm out here today. And uh, I was talking on the phone with my mom this past week. And she said, well, you better take your jacket off on Sunday morning. And I said, yeah, um, I would be more uncomfortable if I took my jacket off. So if my jacket bothers you, please don't let it bother me. It does not bother me. Taking it off would bother me. So we can all be comfortable this morning. I'm going to begin our reading at verse 16 and read through verse 21. What we hear now is God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here we have the reading of God's holy word. Also printed for you in the worship folder is Lord's Day 8, questions 24 and 25. I'd like to read those for you this morning. Referring to the Articles of the Apostles' Creed, question 24, how are these articles divided into three parts? God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Question 25, since there is but one God, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. But we are preparing to move into our study of the Apostles' Creed. That creed which we said is a summary of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. If you want to know what the non-negotiables are of being a Christian, uh, they are found in the Apostles' Creed. And we see this morning from our Lord's Day how this creed is divided into three parts. The first part dealing with God the Father and His works of creation and providence. The fact that our God is a God who is Father and in control of everything that goes on around us. The second section of the creed, dealing with God the Son and our deliverance. And we'll spend a number of Lord's Days talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he has delivered us from our sins. And then finally, the Holy Spirit. 
and our sanctification, our ongoing walk with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, of course, we're talking about the Trinity. The fact that there is one God who exists in three persons. Now, sometimes when we talk about a doctrine, like the doctrine of the Trinity, um, people say, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's theology. That's uh, just too abstract. Just, just give me Jesus. That's all I want to hear about. The Trinity is not a theological construct. The Trinity is not abstract. When people say, just give us the gospel, the gospel and our theology are intimately connected. Our theology is simply the truth that God has revealed in his word about himself and about the world which he has created. Theology is not man-made. It arises out of the very word of God. And so rather than thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity as something abstract, as something theological, I am suggesting this morning that we think of it more as a treasure, as something precious. The truth about who our God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a blessing for us. It's a revelation about our God, the one who has chosen us, saved us, and works in us. It's a revelation about the God of our salvation and reveals something of his glory, who God is. So this morning we turn to John 3, 16, probably the most familiar text in all of Scripture. I imagine you I asked our children can you tell me what John 3.16 is? Many of them could tell me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This text has been called the gospel in summary. And in John 3.16, we see the Trinity active. The Trinity active for our benefit. And as is so typical with the Heidelberg Catechism, that's their focus as well. Not simply abstract doctrine. But how are these articles divided? God the Father in our creation. God the Son in our deliverance. God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. This is a personal doctrine. It's a treasure to be held on to. We look this morning at the treasure of the Trinity. A look at the Trinity helps us more properly understand our relationship to God and the world around us. When we talk about the Trinity, we speak about God the Father and our creation. Because our God is a creator God. Now we know that the Trinity works in perfect concert with itself, but yet there are distinct works each of the Trinity, each member of the Trinity does. And God the Father is primarily the creator. The one who has made all that we see around us. The one who has made the heavens. The one who has made the earth. The one who has made the plants, the animals, the sea creatures, the birds. All things created by our Father. Powerful enough to make all creation that we see around us. God the Father is the sustainer of that which he has made. The fact is a beautiful, sunny 
day to day is because God has chosen to have his smiling providence shine down upon us. He's a God who upholds that which he has created. This is our Father who cares for us. He made everything, he upholds all things, and he created us as a particular and unique creation. Mankind is created in God's image. When we read through the creation account, there is no other creature, no animal, no fish, no bird, no anything, no other creature created in the image of God. That is reserved for mankind. We are the only one created in God's image in true righteousness and holiness, and we are called to live as those image bearers of God. Properly understanding who our Father is helps us understand who we are. It also helps us to see the world around us. We are created to care for the world that God has made. Adam was given a task to tend and keep the garden, and we are called to care about what our Father created. This helps shape our view of the world around us, caring for that which our Father made. Uh, when I was about, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that, um, I had a, a model train set that I used to set up. And I wanted a tunnel for my train to go through. And uh, my dad and I built a train tunnel, paper mache train tunnel. That tunnel was built, I said, about uh, 50 years ago or so. And we have moved that tunnel back and forth across the country maybe a dozen times because my dad made it. And it's important for me to hold on to that and to care for that which he has made. Even more so, our God has made all that we see around us. We are called to care for that creation. Understanding God as Father helps us see ourselves and our relation to the world around us. Understanding God as Son helps us to remember that we have been delivered from our sins by God himself. Jesus Christ came and did that which we could not do. We have been delivered from sin. Delivered from the tyranny of the devil, our confession says. Delivered from the shame of sin. Delivered from the guilt of sin. We have been washed. We have been cleansed because of the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a blessing to, to properly understand our current standing before God. Those who have been set free by the power and the work of the Son. Understanding God, the Holy Spirit, we understand the call to holy living. We are to live like God wants us to live. He is holy, and we are called to be holy. We are called to live according to His perfect law. And we can only do this when the Spirit of God dwells in us. I can't keep the law. 
But as the Spirit dwells in me, he does strengthen me that I might do those things which God has called me to do. The Holy Spirit applies. The finished work of Jesus Christ, his perfection applied to us. And God, when he looks at us, looks at us now, he now sees us as, as if we had been obedient as Christ was obedient. That's because of the work of the Holy Spirit applying that work in our lives. And strengthening us to live according to the ways God would desire. Verse 21 says, Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, in God, by the power of the Spirit. We are able to pursue the light and not dark. The treasure of the Trinity helps us to properly understand of where we are right now. And beyond that, knowing the Trinity um, is something we need to know. It is something which is necessary for us to embrace as a part of our faith, absolutely essential. We talked about the catechism, or the creed giving us the fundamentals, those that we must believe as a Christian. We need to believe the truth of the Trinity. When our kids were growing up, we had a little uh, catechism book we used as a part of their instruction. And part of that catechism book was about the Trinity. And the questions went something like this. Um, how many gods are there? There is only one God. Is the Father God? Yes. Is the Son God? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Are these three gods? No. There is only one God. And the kids repeated that over and over, catechetical instruction. And the end of that section, Ask this question. Can you be saved without believing this? And the answer was simply, no. You cannot be saved without believing that God is a triune God. Now that sounds harsh. That sounds, maybe jars us a little bit. But that little children's catechism was simply reflecting the truth that we always have confessed. In the creeds of our church. You don't have your Psalter hymnals with you, so I will read from the back of the Psalter. I would encourage you this afternoon, if you have a Psalter, or just go online and you can Google this, uh, the Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed is sometimes referred to as the Long Creed. We have the Apostles' Creed we say very often, the Nicene Creed we say once in a while, and the Athanasian Creed we never ever say. Uh, not because it's a bad creed, but it's just a long creed. It's not very liturgically friendly. It's a beautiful creed, as it talks about two things, about the Trinity and the incarnation of Christ. And the creed begins this way. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic, that is universal, faith. Which faith, except one do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. The section on the Trinity ends, we must, excuse me, he therefore that will be saved must think thus of the Trinity. And the creed ends, this is the Catholic faith, except which a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. The Trinity is a non-negotiable. 
It is something every believer must embrace. Because if it is not the triune God whom we know and serve, it is not God. If God is not triune, he is deficient in some way. And we lose a part of our salvation. God is a God who is Father. Verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world. That's a reference to God the Father. The Father who loves his children. Now, I'm not going to spend time this morning talking about God loving the world. We talked about that you know, a few months ago in our canon section, uh, uh, sermons. doesn't mean every single person indiscriminately. God loves his out of the world. But the Father has set his love on his people. God the Father set his love on a particular people. We sometimes call that election. God's electing love for those who are his own. And of course, when you think of election, children, you think of election and Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Father's electing love placed upon his people and adopting them as his children. The Father adopts sons and daughters. If God is not Father, if God is not Father, he has not set that electing love on those whom he makes his children. It is actually necessary for us to embrace the fatherhood of God. We read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We are to believe in the Son. We are saved through his work. The Son comes to accomplish the work of the Father. He comes to die for those whom the Father has chosen. He comes to save God's fallen people. And He is, as we've talked about, that perfect mediator, the only one that could do it. He is truly God to withstand the wrath of God. He is truly human to suffer for mankind who had sinned. If Jesus is not who He is, Son of God, the only one able, we lose our salvation. Jesus must be that Son. It is necessary to embrace God as triune because the Son was sent to accomplish the work of the Father. God the Father did not die for us. God the Spirit did not die for us. Jesus Christ, God the Son, came to earth, dwelt among sinful men and women. Jesus Christ came and died for God's chosen. Necessary to believe he is Son of God. And of course, it's necessary to believe God is Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's no surprise to you when I say that Reformed churches, somewhat historically, are accused of ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not the case. We understand the work of the Holy Spirit as revealed to us in Scripture. Again, verse 16 For God so loved the world. He gave his only son, and whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, those who have faith. Now, where does this faith come from? Faith come to us, can't come to us, we know, as a gift, a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who works faith in our hearts. I embrace the work of the Father, the work of the Son. The Holy Spirit is active in us to bring us to life. If there is no Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. We read from John, or from Ephesians 3, 16, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift, a gift from God. Gift given to us the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit uses tools to accomplish His work, tools to work that faith in us. The primary tool of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of the gospel. The gospel being declared again and again and again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what He has done, that the Holy Spirit enlivens our hearts to embrace that truth. To recognize that Jesus Christ as our Savior, if there is no spirit, there is no embracing of the gospel. It's that same gospel call that goes out today. It's the same prayer I pray before every worship service, that God would be active here by the power of his spirit. And if there are those here who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if there are those here whose hearts are still closed, that this day, through the preaching of the gospel, God would open those closed hearts. He would open those blind eyes. He would raise those from death to life. That's the Spirit's work. Without the Spirit, there is no salvation. It's absolutely necessary to believe in the triune God. And that triune God Again, it's not a theological construct. It is the God who is revealed to us in the scriptures. How do you know this, our confession says? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. Simple yet profound truth of scripture. Now, if you talk with some folks, they'll say, what do you mean, Trinity? The word Trinity isn't found anywhere in the Bible. Of course, we can see that. The word Trinity isn't found anywhere in the Bible. The truth of who God is, the truth of the triune nature of our God, is a beautiful treasure that is woven throughout Scripture. Like a, like a golden thread throughout all of God's Word, revealing glimpses into who He is. Sometimes we see him more clearly as Father. Sometimes we see him more clearly as Son. Sometimes more clearly as Holy Spirit. Remember that there is one God. He exists in these three persons. In particular instances where we see the Trinity acting somewhat uh, independently, in concert with each other, we think of Jesus' baptism. We have Jesus uh, being baptized. We have the Father's voice speaking from heaven. This is my beloved Son. We have the Spirit down and lighting on him like a dove. We see clearly the, the Trinitarian nature of God, but the Trinity is not found in just simple one passage here, one passage there. It is the truth is woven throughout God's revelation. Revealed in the Word. A biblical truth we are called to embrace. The Trinity is not abstract theology. It is not something for seminary students to simply ponder over. It's a treasure. A treasure which gives us a glimpse into the nature of God. 
the God of our creation, the God of our salvation. We get a glimpse into who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is not a truth that is rationally apprehended. Well, how can there be one God that equals three, but the three are not three gods, it's one God? How does that, how does a math major, those things don't fit together very well. Trinity is not rationally apprehended. It is a truth revealed and embraced by faith, faith in the word of God. We shouldn't see the Trinity as some sort of mystery given to us to unravel. It's a treasure given to us to embrace and believe. This is the very nature of God we're talking about. How can we begin to comprehend any of it? But God gives us this glimpse into the simple but profound truth. He is one God who exists in three persons. Now, the Trinity is not abstract theology. It is not a man-made construct. It's a treasure given to us by God to get a small picture of how great and glorious he is. A God who is Father, who has chosen his own before the creation of the world. A God who is Son, who came to redeem each and every one of God's chosen. And a God who is Spirit, who gives a gift of faith to embrace Jesus Christ and what he has done. It is this treasure about our God, who he is, what he has done. This treasure we are called to embrace, we are called to believe, we are called to enjoy. Have you embraced the treasure of the Trinity? Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, truly today we have spoken of things that are beyond us. We have spoken of your very nature. How can we begin to comprehend who you are? And yet, oh God, you have revealed yourself so beautifully in your word. You've revealed yourself as loving Father. You've revealed yourself as redeeming Son. You've revealed yourself as sanctifying Holy Spirit. Lord God, help us to embrace this glorious glimpse of who you are, to treasure what you have done for us, and to know that, that yes, by your power, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we not only have been saved, but have been called now to live and reflect who you are. We are made in your image. Strengthen us today to live the, according to your holy law, to walk in the ways of your holiness, for you are a triune God. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.